You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I am here with Matt Hartwell, as always. Matt, it's game week, man. We're, we're six days away from Michigan versus East Carolina. By the time our listeners are hearing this, we will be five days away. Uh, I got chills right now just thinking about it. How, how are you feeling? Ah, oh, those chill bumps, man. Uh, <laughs> I got them also just thinking about it. We're uh, six days away after a long ass off season game week is upon us. Uh, we're going to be talking all kinds of Michigan football stuff today, including a preview of Michigan Wolverines upcoming opponent, East Carolina, buddy. I'm super stoked. So we're definitely going to get into the ECU preview. Um, but first, we've got some news to talk about. about. But before we jump into that, uh, I just want to let our listeners know that the Big House Bleachers podcast is brought to you by Fanatics. And of course, Fanatics has all the best sports uh, memorabilia and, and merchandise. I get all my game day attire from Fanatics. So if you guys are going to be shopping for Michigan clothes anyway for this Michigan season, uh, go ahead and hit the link. In the description, uh, Spotify, you know, Apple, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go to the description, hit the link. It'll take you right to the Michigan football apparel and shop away. All right, let's jump right in, man. Um, so the big news this week is in typical Harbaugh fashion, he doesn't just name one interim coach to step in during this self-imposed three-game suspension. So, of course, I'm talking about the fact that Michigan uh, self-imposed a three-game suspension on Coach Jim Harbaugh. It seems like they were trying to get ahead of the NCAA here. They, they're trying to get this behind them, right? We don't need this lingering. Um, and Harbaugh doesn't name just one interim coach, as most people would do. Uh, let me see if I get this right. I'm, I'm having trouble keeping up with how many head coaches we're about to have here. So uh, I know he named uh, for week one. Is that Jesse Minter? Yeah, Jesse Minter, week one, correct. So ECU, Jesse Minter. And, and it's also just come down the pipe. Uh, I don't know if for those that you, those of you that don't know, Sharon Moore will be serving that game one suspension. So Michigan without game one uh, with Jesse Minter coaching for that first one. And we're going to have to talk about the potential impacts of that when we do talk about this East Carolina game. Uh, week two, UNLV, we've got... Uh, I believe Jay Harbaugh for the first half. So, uh, you know, Jim's son and then Mike Hart for the second half, Mike Hart getting some head coaching experience. And then, uh, week three, Sharon Moore will be the head coach. So he he'll be coming back from suspension and then his second game back, he'll be the head coach. And then, uh, just to add a little bit more Harbaugh flavor to it, we've got the assistant head coach and the associate head coach are none other than strength and conditioning legend Ben Herbert that's he's the current strength and conditioning coach of Michigan and then the one that is just just such a good pick by coach Harbaugh his dad Jack Harbaugh who was actually an assistant coach for Bo Schembechler 50 years ago will be stepping in as the associate head coach at Michigan 
uh, man, Matt, like this is the most Harbaugh ass thing I have ever seen in my life. Uh, I, I can see the smile on your face, and so I know you like it. But let me just ask you, how do you feel about Harbaugh's interim coaches? Yeah, I mean, you got to feel great about it, especially just being a fan of Jim Harbaugh in general. Uh, it's about the most Jim Harbaugh thing he could do in this situation. I remember uh, Scott Bell tweeted out right after the news came out, uh, Jim Harbaugh naming uh, his dad, uh, as well as the strength and conditioning coach as associate and assistant head coaches for his cheeseburger suspension is probably the most Jim Harbaugh thing that you could expect. And it's really just, it's none other than that. You know, Uh, you got a slew of coaches here, but personally, I love it. You know, there's been a lot of talk from Harbaugh all off season about the potential of these coaches, how he believes that every single one of them is a a head coach, an eventual head coach. So uh, he's putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak. So I'm really excited to see how it all pans out. Really excited to see our guys in action. And I'm not really fearful in the least. It reminds me of the post-game, uh, post-game on-field interviews when they try to ask Harbaugh a question and he's like, no, no, talk to this guy right here. Talk to this guy right here. You know, I don't have the, the I know we've used that media clip before. I don't have it locked and loaded and ready to go, but um that's what he's doing with his coaches here. And, and to me, this is why people inside the Michigan program that know what Coach Harbaugh is all about, this is why we love him, right? He, he, di- he did this because he honestly wants to get these guys head coaching experience so he, it, to help them become better men and better coaches and build their resume for the future. Uh, he does it with his players. He does it with his coaches. He's genuinely a selfless individual. And Honestly, I have trouble uh, understanding why rival fan bases hate Jim Harbaugh so much. To me, he's not a hateable figure, but uh, it does seem that nationwide, like people really despise him. Um, anyway, uh, so in addition to that, we also figured out who the team captains are going to be. I don't have the list up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I can n- name these off the top of my head. So <clears throat> the big news was uh, JJ McCarthy was not a team captain. And then it, it kind of trickled out that only seniors were eligible to become captains. I don't know if that's a new rule indefinitely or if that's just for this year, but given this current team and this roster, it makes sense uh, that JJ would not be eligible because there's just so many other seniors that deserve uh, to be captains. And so let me run through them and then we'll talk about them. On offense, you've got uh, Blake Corum, Blake the Great, g- gotta be a captain. Uh, and then you got what I love, Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan, right? Like offensive linemen, captains, that's incredible. On the defense, you've got uh, Mike Sander still and Chris Jenkins. Those are not surprising. And then the one that kind of feels a little bit more surprising but makes a lot of sense, uh, Mike Barrett, linebacker Mike Barrett, also a team captain. So. Um, those are our six guys. They'll be, they'll be leading this team. And, of course, there's other leaders. Uh, you got Junior Colson and, you know, Donovan Edwards and other guys that are not seniors that are going to be leaders on this team. But those are our six team captains for the season. Would you have picked the same six if it were up to you, Matt? Or would, do you see things a little differently? You know, in retrospect, upon seeing the announcement of the captains, 
I was fully on board with uh, with the direction they decided to go with it. Uh, strictly leaving only upperclassmen available to choose and vote on as captains. I think that was a great move. It's a really old locker room, so you don't really want to single out a lot of these young playmakers that you have that, you know, are really good, are really great at making plays for Michigan, but also you want to have a little incentive in their mind as well, maybe to uh, possibly stick around later on. But uh, you also want to reward some of those guys, those locker room warriors that have been around for several years, like a Mike Barrett or a Trevor Keegan, which are probably the two most surprising if you had to rank them um, as being picked. But uh, I loved it. You know, Mike Barrett at the uh, midway point of the offseason, I started to get a little scared that he might get kind of left out with the arrival of Ernest Hausman. Uh, he's already such an underappreciated guy on that roster. So I was a little bit fearful for him to hear him be voted as a captain made my day, Mike. Yeah. And then uh, just moving on to some other kind of exciting news. And I, I must be an idiot because I, I had no idea that this was happening. Hey, I'm sure at some point, the news had trickled out, but I missed it. So I knew that we were getting the big uh, scoreboards, right? Like that's been all the rage. We've seen we've seen updates on the construction. We've seen these larger screens. Apparently, they're going to be able to uh, cast up to 8K definition, which to me that I don't even want to know, you know, how they can make an 8K screen that big. But then Michigan gave us a little sneak preview of their new lights. And these are not just, uh, you know, 1940 Rose Bowl kind of lights. These are, uh, you know, we're kind of, we're, Michigan is finally moving into the modern day when it comes to the game day experience. We've got the, the strobe kind of light show thing going on at the big house. I had no idea that we were getting ready to do that. And so we're going to see that at our first night game, which I believe is Bowling Green, week three. Uh, Matt, do you know anybody that's going to that Bowling Green game? Well, Mike, as somebody (laughs) that personally purchased Bowling Green tickets uh, in an attempt to uh, preemptively coordinate uh, a possible maze out at night, uh, which we didn't end up getting, so I was kicking myself in the ass for I am tremendously relieved to hear about the arrival of this epic, badass, dope-ass light show. Um, I think it's going to make the experience awesome. You know, Michigan already very uh, historical stadium. Uh, Just so many great things about it, but just kind of missing a little bit of that edge in some areas. Mm -hmm. So um, they, (laughs) I really think that uh, they hit the nail on the head to an extent with their uh, experiment into the on-field DJing. Uh, and I think that this new light show accompanying the big-ass scoreboards, it's just going to make the experience all that more epic for Wolverine fans. Super pumped to be there uh, and experience that come September 17th. Well, you know, for the the old, uh, faithful Michigan fans that are going to get grumpy about these new lights... Uh, I just I just have one question for them because I already know there's going to people that's like that are going to be like oh it takes away from the game and this is not the way the big house is supposed to be uh, that's bullshit I'm just going to say it right now 
like you've got to move into the the modern era and if you're a 17 year old five-star recruit and you walk into a stadium that is banging and these lights are going off and the fans are getting crazy and the the atmosphere feels electric and then you go into a, a stadium that you know you know these traditional stadiums which are amazing the big house lambeau field i always think uh, the big house is kind of like the lambo of college you know but if if these stadiums don't get with the times what what we're risking is being left behind and these younger top recruits thinking like i don't really want to go to that school and and so to me i think this is just another example of how michigan is uh in some ways catching up and in other ways uh continuing to be the leaders and the best and so we're seeing them catch up in nil uh, doing some great things in NIL. We're seeing uh, the scoreboard and the lights. And so uh, to me, I think this is going to be a perfect season uh, for Michigan to win the national championship. Uh, and one thing be- I will say, Mike, is Michigan needs to get with the times, though, and uh, and make the maze out a night game. They knew this this badass light show was on the way. I mean, how epic would it have been uh, for that maze out to just have the light, the lights accompanying it whenever it finally arrived on that night? So I don't know. I just think that the maze out should be held at night. That's all cool. It's going to be for uh, week one at ECU. I think the fans are going to be totally pumped and it's going to be an electric atmosphere. I just think that you got to make it at night. I agree. I was at that Washington game a couple of years ago. It was the maze out at night. We had the pom poms. Every, you know, when you think of like a the most intimidating, like Penn State whiteout. I feel like that's always at night, right? Those those lighter colors just pop at nighttime. And I mean, screw it. Like I I hear fans uh, calling for fireworks. Yeah, get get a couple of like maize and blue fireworks out there. Why not, man? Um, so I'm with you there. Uh, like I predicted, Michigan uh, could and should win the Natty this year. And so if we're going to make some predictions, why don't we go ahead and just predict uh, our Power 5 conference champions for the season? I'll start off with the low-hanging fruit, the Big Ten. Uh, I'm going to predict that Michigan wins the Big Ten this year. I know, shocker, coming from the Big House Bleachers podcast, but I genuinely believe that Michigan should win the Big Ten. The biggest swing game is probably not Ohio State. It, it's probably at Happy Valley. Uh, if we can take care of business at Happy Valley, um, we may go, th- this is interesting, uh, and let me know how you feel about this. We may go into Ohio, the, uh, the Ohio State game already having uh, sealed the deal on the Big Ten because I think Ohio State might stumble early uh, with you know a little new quarterback and kind of their soft-ass Ryan Day approach. So how do you feel about that? I'm completely starting to agree with that take. Uh, and I, as I think many people are right now, you know, it's starting to, uh, I don't want to say glaring weaknesses, but question marks for Ohio State along the offensive line, at the quarterback position, not having named a starting quarterback just yet. So there's all these entities that kind of put them behind the eight ball of some of these other teams that already have that kind of stuff figured out going into the season. 
And then you look at uh, Notre Dame, how they performed yesterday. I won't get too ahead because I know we're going to discuss that as well. But, uh, you know, they play Ohio State coming up here in uh, the next couple weeks. So a lot for Ohio State to have figured out if they want to be an elite contending team uh, by the time the postseason comes. So I'm right there with you, buddy. You know, I was just thinking the same thing. Is like Notre Dame, I know they were playing Navy, but they looked like a team that was like ready to go. They were they were um very consistent. They've got an experienced quarterback that that has had uh, a t- I mean, just played a ton of snaps in college football. Uh Ohio State better watch out there, but of course the Notre Dame game would not impact the Big 10 standings but but I think we're we're going to learn in that game okay is Ohio State good enough to just run the table until the Michigan game or do they potentially need to watch out for some of these mid-tier Big Ten teams and I think we're going to learn a lot from that Notre Dame game so um so we both uh, project Michigan to win the Big Ten no shot without saying without saying so I also project Mm -hmm. Michigan to to win the Big Ten, should they handle Penn State, which I believe that they do. I think Penn State is just more of kind of like in their 2021 or maybe even 2022 Michigan era as a mm-hmm. Penn State team. So I think that they're on the right track, but I think that they're just a step, maybe a step and a half behind Michigan at this point. So I'm giving it to the Wolverines. No bias. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a uh, yeah, no bias, right? It's a first uh, year quarterback, and to me, I'm I've been looking a lot at these the, the quarterback situation when I look at these teams, and I know that there's much more to a team than than just their quarterback. But uh, you know, we've seen great quarterbacks are the ones that carry their teams into the playoffs, into championships, and so let's move to the SEC. This is a little interesting here. We've got uh, the conference that's been dominated by Bama for years, and then. It was a Bama LSU game for a while there. And then now we've seen it's more of a Bama Georgia thing. And Georgia has been consistently the best team in the country for the past couple of years. Like I just mentioned, I'm going to give uh, the nod to an experienced quarterback on a talented team. I'm going with the LSU Tigers to win the SEC this year. What about you? I love it, buddy. You know, the cliche pick uh, is obviously to go Georgia or Alabama in this scenario. But if you recall, I had LSU pretty high on my uh, on my preseason pick list earlier this offseason. So I'm right there with you on LSU. Uh, I think that's that's kind of a low key pick. I'm still going uh, Georgia or maybe Alabama, just because I think Alabama has a little bit more figured out at the quarterback position. Um, but I still, I can't, I can't stray away from Georgia. I just got to keep my mind fixated on them right now as uh, as the team that Michigan needs to beat. Um, LSU, Alabama, I think they're very close this year, but I think Georgia still pulls that one out. You're probably right, man. You know, I, I posted my projection uh, of my my four playoff teams and Georgia wasn't in it. And I had this guy on Twitter that was like, it's like, no, Georgia, like you you clearly don't watch college football like you, you bum. And I was like, well, 
it's a it's a prediction, right? Like, of course, I watch college football. Of course, I know. I would not be surprised if Georgia just ran the table. They have a pretty easy schedule. If you you know, like it's it's kind of like Michigan's. Like, there's not a lot going on until the last few weeks. But I don't know, man. I just I I think I just pick what I would like to see sometimes, and it's like I I I don't want to see Georgia and Bama back there. So I'm going with LSU there. Uh, the ACC, you got a couple couple possibilities there. Clemson's been the the heavy favorite for years. North Carolina's had some good teams. You you never want to overlook the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, but for me, again, I'm going with quarterback play. Uh, Florida State wins the ACC. I'm right there with you. And this time, I'm agreeing with you right on the money, buddy. I'm going Florida State as well. I think that quarterback play is just going to project them to a slightly different plateau than what you're going to see from Clemson this year. So I like Florida State to win that uh, conference. And then moving on to the Pac-12, I absolutely hate my pick, but I'm sticking with them. It's the only team that we've actually watched play so far this season. They had a, and we'll talk about them in a second. They had a week zero game um, and we'll get into that, but I'm going with USC. Uh, I just I have trouble even defending it after watching the non-existent defense, but uh, I do I do believe that the Pac-12 is very strong this year between USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon. Um, whoever comes out of that gauntlet unscathed will will probably get a two or three seed in the college football playoff. I think the Pac-12 will go out, uh, you know, on, with a bang. Uh, Because they're not even going to be a conference next year, but I I do believe they'll make the college football playoff this year. Yeah, for for my pick as well, I'm also going USC, which I hate just because it's such a casual pick. No way. Um, I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I'm going USC. I would like Utah to sneak in there. I just, I like... I like Utah's roster a little bit more from top to bottom. I just hate how uh, how I saw USC perform yesterday. It just looks so repetitive of the same USC's of old that we've seen, but I just don't think that that conference has enough juice from some of its other characters this year to uh, propel them against that team. Also, what was that guy's name that was uh, trending on Twitter last night? I don't know. The wide receiver that made the uh, special teams play, everybody was talking about him. Oh, I I forgot I forgot his name, but you you're talking about number 1 on USC. Yeah, they've USC? got they've yeah. got a they've yeah. got a guy on that team that uh he looks pretty electric. So, mm-hmm. I like him. I haven't seen enough or heard enough from any other uh components in that Pac-12 right now to think that they're close to contending with the USC team that we saw yesterday and how many points that they put up and their style about doing it. So I don't know. We'll see the PAC 12, like you and me have talked about in the past, always seems to cannibalize itself. I think that, uh, Washington, Utah, it's very much up for grabs. Well, the team that I would like to see win that I think has a very good shot at winning, uh, is Washington. Actually, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, potentially a Heisman candidate, uh, depending on how he plays. Nick Sheridan, former Michigan quarterback, is actually an assistant coach on the Washington Huskies. 
I'm good friends with his brother. Shout out Joe Sheridan. So they they hold a special place in my heart. I would love to see Washington uh, win the conference. But yeah, you know, USC, the reason I picked them is I just feel like they're going to outscore everybody the way that they do. Uh, Lincoln Riley's defensive approaches to college football just bewilder me. Like if that guy ever figures out how to hire and implement a defensive coordinator and scheme that makes any sense, um, he's gonna be like uh, he's gonna be unbeatable because his offense his offenses are are very difficult to defend. Uh, but the dude just doesn't, you know, doesn't have good defenses. He didn't at Oklahoma. He doesn't at USC. So uh, we will see if they can pull out the Pac-12. But then. Uh, the Big 12 that looks a little bit different this year and is going to look a lot different next year. Um, speaking of Oklahoma, that's actually my pick. I know Texas is the very sexy pick right now. I think Oklahoma is going to have a bounce back year. I think that they, I think they enjoy flying under the radar. They've dominated the Big 12 for basically its entire existence. I think their last season in the Big 12 uh, they're going to go out on top. I'm picking the Oklahoma Sooners to surprise some people and win the Big 12. I like it, especially because I'm picking Texas, so I do like it. Uh, also, against my will, similar to USC, not a huge Texas guy. I just think it's the same. I'm going to repeat myself the same as the Pac-12. I think from top to bottom, um, it's really just Texas's year to kind of seize that conference so they've really just got to do it they've got a manning on the roster uh pushing their their to be start their uh starting qb quinn ewers so if anything goes wrong with that they've got a younger manning waiting in the wings so uh i just and xavier worthy uh obviously all the best to him huge playmaker for that team i think they're gonna do well this year a little bit better than some expect so i'm going texas well, you know, I, I just to remind our listeners, I live in Austin, right? So I'm I'm surrounded by Texas fans, and actually, I kind of like Texas. I don't I don't hate them. Um, you know that that game next year will be really big for me to see uh, Michigan play Texas. I've been counting down the days for that, but um, I just think that it's going to come down to the Oklahoma versus Texas game. Um, whoever wins that is going to win the conference. But I don't see them making the college football playoff because both of those teams, historically, they stumble, right? One of them will, will lose to Oklahoma State. Another one will lose to Kansas State. And then, you know, and then they'll both be kind of in that 5 to 10 range heading into the last week of the season. So um, what conference have we not done? We did the Big 12, the Pac-12, the ACC and the SEC. I think we did all of them. Oh, that's Power 5 right there. Yes, sir. Yep. Sweet. Well, yeah, let's wrap up this conversation with a college football playoff prediction. Who are your four teams? I'm going to let you go first here, Matt. Try to do my best uh, Desmond Howard impression. <laughs> For, uh, let's see. I've got... Obviously, we'll just get it out of the way. Georgia and Michigan. Uh, I think those two at one and two, the the same as how the AP and all the other polls seem to see it. 
Um, but right below that, I've got Alabama and then a surprise at number four that just makes me sick to say uh, Notre Dame. I'm just I'm kind of impressed with how they performed yesterday. Very together with with how their offense moved down the field. They're only going to continue to get better with that experience at quarterback. So I think that Notre Dame is going to be a dangerous team this year. Again, it makes me absolutely sick to say, but they looked good yesterday. Even if it was just Navy, you can see when a team is firing on all cylinders and when they're executing plays, how they're supposed to be. And when you're doing things like that, like you can kind of push to the side the incompetency of who they're playing. They just look good as a team. So I'm giving it to Notre Dame for right now. I'm putting them in that number four spot. What about you, Mike? Man, I love it. I love your picks. I agree with you. I think I think it's a very strong prediction. Uh, no Bama, no Ohio State. That that's what sticks out to me. Um, I think I let my. I think I let my. Oh no, emo- I've got Bama. I've got Bama at three. Oh shit! I thought you had LSU in there. So you have Georgia, Bama, Michigan. And Notre Dame. Sorry about yeah. that. So you do no, have Bama. you're good. If That's I were a... to have LSU, I'd probably have them at five. I think that they're that dangerous this year. But uh, after seeing Notre Dame, and I would never have three SEC teams in the top four, but uh, right, after seeing right. Notre Dame yesterday, I just think that that's going to be a dangerous team. And they don't really have that difficult of a schedule. You know what I mean? They've got Ohio State. Um. But other than that, they've got some beatable games on their schedule. I can't remember exactly what it is, but they've only got two or three dangerous opponents next year that they can they can get over. So we'll see how that goes. But sorry to interrupt you, buddy. No, no, that you're good. And and that is the question in the SEC is how does LSU, Georgia, and Bama shake out, right? And I don't really know. Uh Here's my projection, but I'm going to change it right here on the air because there's there's really no rules to this, and so I'm just going to change it, and people can hate on me if they want. So before yesterday, I, I predicted Michigan, USC, LSU, and Florida State. I got, I got LSU beating Florida State in week one, and then, and then Florida State running the table in the ACC and sneaking in in the fourth spot. I've got LSU winning the SEC, so LSU's in. I've, I've got Michigan in. Uh, you know, if, if all is right in the universe, Michigan will be undefeated and will be the number one overall seed in the playoff. Um, I just can't stick with USC after yesterday. I just can't. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to change my picks. I'm going to get USC out of there. It, you know, I feel, like, I feel like I can do this because it, 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 we haven't seen week one yet. We've only seen week zero. So I feel like I still reserve the right to change my college football playoff prediction. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to slide Georgia back in the top four because I have to be realistic. I let my emotions get the best of me and said that they wouldn't be in. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Georgia does get in as a one-loss SEC team uh, their schedule is just so weak I mean like Georgia's got it they're they're going to probably be undefeated heading into the last two or three weeks of the season and even if they drop a game the committee's gonna put them in so I've got Michigan LSU 
Georgia and Florida State. There's my four. I like it. And I like the inclusion of Florida State. You know, for me, if they're a little bit of a question mark, I got to see this year's product from the Seminoles. But I think that they're also a very dangerous team this year. Even though I think USC wins that eventual Pac-12, I just don't think USC is a is a player this year. I think that even if they manage to win the Pac-12, I think that that conference just finishes like like the best player from that conference finishes like six or seven in the the final voting. So I just don't really take them at all too seriously. I think that you're going to see a lot of what we've mentioned uh, taken up those top five spots. Here's the thing about Florida State that's interesting. You know, they play LSU week one. So if they lose to LSU, then you look at their schedule and you say, oh, it just comes down to whether or not they beat Clemson, right? Like there's some other, there's some other ACC teams that are going to give them a fight. So it's, it's not like they just have a cakewalk, but all eyes, all eyes turn to that Clemson game if they lose to LSU. But if they beat LSU week one, all of a sudden Florida State has the best resume in the country from the jump. And then they actually have the luxury of maybe even dropping a game and still getting into the CFP. And so to me, that LSU game being week one for them is a very favorable game. You know, it, 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 it's going to boost their strength of schedule. Nobody's going to fault them for losing to LSU unless they lose by 40 points. If they lose by 40 points, it's over. They're not going to make the, the college football playoff. But um, that's why I think they're a good pick this year. I think it, it comes down to, do I believe they'll beat Clemson? Uh, I'm going to say, yes, I do believe they'll beat Clemson. So that's why I have them in there. See, Notre Dame, yeah, looking at their schedule again, like they've got Ohio State that uh, September 23rd at home for them. You know, they're not playing in Ohio State. They've got USC at home again, you know, so two of those matchups already. And then they've got Clemson on the road. But those three matchups, I, I can only see as being the only three that, will kind of be difficult for that Notre Dame squad. So it's very interesting. I was completely just didn't even really consider them a factor this season until uh, seeing the play of that quarterback yesterday. So good on them. Hate Notre Dame, but uh, they might be a threat this year. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. Like, it's Navy. But, you know, those military schools, they typically field a tough guys you know like we saw we saw Michigan struggle with with Army a couple years ago and go into double overtime because they're just sneaky they're tough they run a lot of triple option and it's like weird running plays and stuff and and Notre Dame was having none of it they were like no we're we're the better team we're gonna step up and and dominate in all phases of the game and so um they do look good I agree with you let's move on to some some forecasting as far as next year's NFL draft is concerned. I feel like we've already talked USC. We've already talked Notre Dame. We don't need to beat a dead horse there. Notre Dame looks good. USC, they are who we thought they were. No defense, all offense. We can move on. Um, Jim Harbaugh estimates that as many as 20 guys, that's right, you heard me right, 20 guys on Michigan's roster could get drafted in the NFL draft next season. So, you and I decided we're going to make a, we're gonna make a uh, 
prediction here on the BHB pod. The all-time record for the most guys ever drafted was Georgia had 15 guys drafted. Uh, I forget which year. I think it was in the 90s. Um, So 15 is the record by Georgia. Matt, two-part question. Does Michigan break the record? And if they do, how many guys get drafted? I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit. What is the record? 15 by Georgia. Uh, I I think it's going to be pretty close, man. I don't think that uh, we're going to see 20 uh, per the uh, Jim Harbaugh swing there, but um, I think that it's going to be very close. I would say as many as as uh, 16 guys is, uh, is going to be my bold prediction there. I think they are going to break that record, though. You're killing me, man. 16 is my number two. We got nothing to disagree on. Um, yeah, the reason I picked 16 is because it, it's the record. Uh, you know, it firmly seals the deal on the record. Uh, it, it's not that outlandish. It's not that crazy. You start looking around this team and you think like, who are some guys that could get drafted? Okay, well, Trevor Keegan and, and Zach Zinter should. And then you look at the rest of the offensive line. Ladarius Henderson, yeah, yeah, likely. Drake Nugent, I would think so. Um, there's four on the offensive line, not to mention, you know, we got guys like Barnhart and some other, you know, the other guys that could potentially. If you even just start talking about the rest of the offense, I mean, you've got not even including JJ, excluding what he does after this season, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, who's been outspoken about getting drafted uh, this six. upcoming season. That's six. Uh, Roman Wilson I, is another one that's kind of a toss-up. We'll see what he does. But Cornelius Johnson. Um, Eight. Am I missing anybody on the offense? Well, and here's the thing. And then JJ will probably de- declare and will probably get drafted. So there's nine. Um, exactly. Ro- You're at but- nine, not even getting into this defense. And the defense might have more. That's the thing. So... So I, I do think that R- Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson are like maybes. Um, I think Roman Wilson may have eligibility left. I, I got to double check on that. But but C- Cornelius Johnson. Um, he's out. He, yeah, he's out. For sure he's out. And, and I could see him going in like a Ronnie Bell fashion, you know, a fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth seventh rounder. But who knows? Cornelius might have... Uh, he's one of our guys that's poised for potentially a breakout year. His draft stock could improve tremendously. So I think conservatively, you say seven guys on the offense get drafted. Could be nine or ten. And then you go to the other side of the ball and you look at, uh, well, Chris Jenkins is definitely going to get drafted. Uh, Junior Colson's probably not sticking around. Uh Mike Barrett's one of those guys that's like, yeah, he might be like an undrafted free agent. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know if he's gonna go. We'll probably get Ernest Hausman for another season. So I those guys think aren't Rod gonna go. Moore, Will Rod, Johnson. Rod Moore. Um, man, I hope we can just find a way to keep Will Johnson another year. I, I don't, I'm don't not, know, man. I think he's I'm not going, ready for that. I think he's he's gonna be long gone. He's just the hype is unreal for that kid. If he has the type of season that everyone's hoping and saying that he's going to have. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a very, very sought after pick. So we'll see, man. I mean, it's just crazy. That's when when I started thinking about this exercise beforehand. It was like, 
eight guys on offense, eight guys on defense. I mean, that seems like a pretty, pretty doable number for this class. I mean, very interesting yeah. to start thinking about it. You know, the thing that could could kill the the record, which I would be fine with, is it. We saw last year there was this kind of one more year movement and fund. You know, if they, if we get like four or five of these underclassmen that are draft eligible that are good that we can get some NIL movement for and be like, you know, come back and play with Jaden Davis kind of a thing going on. Like that would be cool. That's less likely to happen just because of the way next season is set up. Everybody knew this season was set up for a championship run. Um, but I can tell you right now, I'm just not ready to have the Will Johnson to the NFL conversation. That just depresses me. I, I, if we win the natty, then I'll be ready for it. But um, all right. So we both say 16. Michigan gets the record. We're heading into the first game of the season. Michigan versus East Carolina, September 2nd. Uh, should be a pretty decent game, maybe. I don't know. The spread's in the, in the high 30s. But let me caution all of these Michigan fans out there that think that Michigan's going to easily dominate this game. Now, do I believe that Michigan could win by 30, 40, 50, maybe even 60? Points. Yes, I do believe that. So let me preface this by saying I would not be surprised if Michigan just takes them to the woodshed and dominates. But of the three non-conference games, if there is a team that should be taken very seriously, it's not UNLV, it's not Bowling Green, it is definitely this week one East Carolina matchup. You've got a team that went eight and five last year, won a bowl game, knows how to win. Did they lose some talent? Yes, they did. Their leading rusher, leading receiver, and quarterback all went to the NFL. But they got some transfers. They retooled. Um, so I, I'm gonna, I got a little bit more to add because I had a great conversation with Steven Igo at uh, Hoist the Colors, which is the 24-7 uh, sports uh, East Carolina sector. I had a good conversation this offseason. So I'm going to add a little bit more details here. But First, let me get your opinion, Matt. Do you are you feeling the same way I am, which is this is not a team to be overlooked. Absolutely. Great segment, by the way, with uh with your buddy from uh 24-7 Sports, Hoist the Colors over there. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Excellent intel on uh our game, our week one opponent. So uh as far as my opinion is concerned. I'm thinking right along the same lines. I think that uh, UNLV Bowling Green probably going to be a little bit uh, less competitive than this first game, um, especially just knocking all of that offseason dust off. But looking into East Carolina, I think they went like eight and five last year. Yeah, uh, performed very well offensively. And but also just lose a lot, I think, is kind of the hold up for a lot of uh, those people that were cooking you on your post, uh, trying to say that uh, Michigan's just going to blow over them and all of that good stuff. I think Michigan will see probably like a similar style of what we saw last year, where Michigan, you know, plays it a little bit closer than what we would be comfortable with in the, the first quarter. Uh, but then I think they're just going full Michigan mode, maybe for the remaining three quarters and just blowing the doors off is how I kind of foresee it. Um, but, you know, East Carolina, they they lose a lot. They lose that quarterback that led them to those 
great offensive accolades last season, replaced him with, uh, from what I understand, another uh, competent QB that doesn't have really any experience, but has plenty of numbers in high school to back him himself up. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, what's your uh, what's your kind of fifty thousand foot take on the the matchup as a whole? Well, their strength appears to be their defensive front, right? They're returning a lot of strong guys on the defensive front. But I was joking with Stephen Igo about that when he told me that because I was like, well, it bet they better be ready to play. I mean, they're co- they're going up against the best offensive line and best running backs in the country. Um, so you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that defensive line makes a few plays and haters are like, oh my god, East Carolina, you know, whatever. But but uh. Their weakness, and this this should get you excited if you're ready for a J.J. Heisman season, their weakness appears to be their secondary. There's a lot of unproven guys in the secondary. Uh, they got a few transfers from North Carolina, some talented guys, but nobody really knows how they're going to show up. So that appears to be their weakness. Uh, offensive impact player to keep an eye on. Um, I need to double check and make sure that he's going to be the starter. I haven't I haven't taken a deep dive yet, but... Quarterback Mason Garcia uh, is the guy that Steven Igo told me he expected to be the starter, but this was this was a while ago when we spoke. They've also got a guy, uh, Flynn, uh, I think it's, it might be Matt Flynn, uh, another quarterback. So they got a bit of a QB competition, but Mason Garcia is like 6'5", 240 pounds. Uh, he's fast, but he's got, he's got a little bit of accuracy issues. You know, like some of those athletic guys are not uh, pinpointing uh, their passes, and so that'll be something to look at. Uh, another offensive player to keep an eye on is running back Marlon Gunn. Marlon Gunn, uh, he can make some plays. He's a good player. And then uh, even though that secondary might be their weakness, they've got a safety by the name of Julius Wood uh, that could be very, very uh, good and can make some plays out there in open space. So J.J. will want to know where he is at at all times. Uh, Matt, let's get a score prediction. Why not? Let's get let's get something on the books, man. I'm gonna. I know I'm kind of surprising you here, but uh, if you were going to predict the score to the Michigan ECU game week one, what's your prediction? I gotta go. I'm going fifty five to ten. My God, we are so in sync. My here's my prediction. I got 52 to 10. 52 to 10 is, is, my, <laughs> uh, is my prediction. And so uh, I guess you and I will not be arguing this episode. We agree on the draft picks next year. We basically agree on the score prediction. And so even though I said ECU is a team to keep an eye on, uh, I still foresee a, a 52 to 10 victory. I do think that Michigan starts the season with four 50-point games, uh, making them you know, one of the leading scoring teams in the country heading into week five or six. It's something pretty similar to what we saw last year, I think we can expect. And so uh, that's it, man. Uh, uh, we'll be back talking about actual Michigan football next week. Uh, Matt, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Absolutely, man. Uh, super excited. We're going to be covering, obviously, all of everything associated with the game following game day. So stay tuned for that. Anyone can find me 
on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader. Also, any of the great stuff that uh, me and my team are covering down at Maze and Brew, which is at Maze and Brew or mazeandbrew.com. What about you, Mike? You guys can find me on Twitter. Uh, Wolverine Chronicle is the name, but it's just at Wolverine Cron. Uh, also, go to wolverinechronicle.com to check out my website. We've also got some cool videos going on at the Wolverine Chronicle YouTube channel. You'll even see some videos of me and Matt on that YouTube channel. We cut up some Big House Bleachers pod uh, clips every now and then. So thank you all for listening. Game week is here. Michigan football will be happening in less than a week. As always, go blue. Go blue.